Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. Today we are podcasting from Breckenridge, Colorado, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. We um, both got really terrible altitude sickness, but Paige got it on night one and I got it on night three. <laughs> I think I had a disadvantage because Anna's from Mexico City, which is at a higher altitude. So just like naturally, I think yeah, you're more think adjusted. I woke up in the middle of the night <laughs> and I felt like I was dying. I had a similar experience. It's really unpleasant and I had never experienced it before. So I generally didn't know what was happening to my body. But aside from that, I think we're having a lot of fun. We have been eating at all of the local restaurants, have found some new favorites. We're really leaning in. I had a bison burger, which was yes. crazy too. And it looked really good. I had just a regular burger. <laughs> it was not that adventurous. Um, but I think we're ready to start talking about the news for this week. Yes, yeah, lots of art news to cover. But before we begin, we're going to start off with an exciting update. As reported by the art newspaper, quote, Winston Churchill's painting of Marrakesh, given to President Franklin D. Roosevelt and sold by Angelina Jolie, sells for record 8.2 million pounds. So a quick refresher. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this very special Churchill painting because it was the only work he painted during World War II. But also, he gifted it to FDR as a sign of their friendship. So it's really, from a historical perspective, like very monumental. Yes, it is. And um, the sale more than tripled its high estimate of 2.5 million pounds. And Churchill's previous record at auction was 1.7 million pounds in 2014 at Sotheby's London. So this is crazy that it reached 8.2 million pounds. And an interesting fact about this sale is that there were two other Churchill paintings and all three of them ended up going to the same bidder, who is speculated to be a private collector from Belgium, but yes. obviously it's anonymous. No, <laughs> but I think it's interesting that all three went to the same bidder. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Someone was really wanting some Churchill paintings. Yes. I didn't really know he was um, a painter until this news came out. When I think of Churchill, I think of the Churchill War Room yeah, in London. Exactly. That's but it. it's it's really great to see his art selling for so much. <laughs> so much, way higher mm, than, than the expect, estimate. Yes. But I think we're ready to dive in. Yes. Our first headline of the week comes to us from Artnet, which reported that quote a second missing Jacob Lawrence painting turns up on Manhattan's Upper West Side, this one hanging in a nurse's apartment. So we talked about this Jacob Lawrence show a few months ago, but to spark everyone's memory, this saga started years ago after an ill-advised collector purchased the set and sold works off individually. So ever since then, scholars have been hunting to unite the missing pieces so it can be shown as a whole. Yes. A Ukrainian nurse heard the news of the first Lawrence find last October, the one we discussed on the podcast. And so she took a closer look at the painting in her apartment just blocks away from the site of the first discovery. So very a lot of coincidences. Yes. And then her son quickly did some research and found that the Mets website showed a vague dark image of the very painting before their eyes. It turned out to be immigrants admitted from all countries, 1820 to 1840. And it is panel 28 of the series. So the woman's mother-in-law had given her the painting, which was signed with the artist's name and had a newspaper clipping about him taped to the back. So it's really crazy that she had no idea. Yes, exactly. And apparently she called the Met and when she didn't get a response, even after she followed up every day for three days, she went to the Met herself to try to speak to curators. So she was very determined. Yes. And her persistence was successful as the 
day she went to the Met, curators and conservators went to her apartment that very night to look at the piece. This quote from the New York Times was too good not to share. She said, quote, it didn't look like anything special, honestly. The colors were pretty. It was a little bit worn. I passed by it on my way to the kitchen a thousand times a day. I didn't know I had a masterpiece. I think that's so crazy to find out you have such an important work of art Mm -hmm. and say that it honestly didn't seem that special. I know I would probably be raving about it even if I didn't feel that way before. (laughs) I would try and hype it up like I always knew it was something. (laughs) Exactly. But the painting now has gone through some conservation work and will be joining the rest of the series as the show travels to the Seattle Art Museum and the Peabody Essex Museum. After the first panel was found and it was reported in the New York Times, the lines to see the show were constant. So I can only imagine the impact that this I can find will have on the next two stops of the exhibition. Right. We got so lucky we were able to go right the before last day. it closed. Yes. But it was very crowded when we went. And what's just so crazy about this story is that two of the missing panels were in New York, Mm -hmm. so close to the Met, and no one had any clue. The curators were working for years trying to find them. them. I hope, okay, when we saw the piece, like the missing piece at the Met, they had kept it in the frame that the owners had That's such a great point. And I really hope that right now they also keep it in the frame that the nurse had it. I think it would make it so interesting to be able to see how different people lived with the works individually, too. Yes, I agree. And so, now from the series, only panels 14, 20, and 29 are missing. So we encourage everyone to go check their walls. You never know what you have. <laughs> Headline number two comes to us from the art newspaper, where it was revealed that, quote, a colossal water tank at Mass Mocha will house James Terrell's latest sky space. So this story is so cool because it has been in the works for a while. Over three decades ago, artist James Terrell, who's known for being a pioneer of the light and space movement, visited the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, known as Mass Mocha, in North Adams and envisioned how he would create a sky space. And now that's becoming reality. His sky space works are colored chambers with apertures that are open to the sky. And the plan is to install the work within a concrete water tank that was previously used as an emergency fire extinguisher when the museum complex housed factory buildings. So it's very interesting and like historical in a way. And the water tank has remained on site at the museum. And as a museum developed, it was like inoperative until now. So it's just like on the grounds it was just being unused but no one ever demolished it which is so lucky Mm -hmm. and this is not the artist's first collaboration with mass moga as the work will join the long-term exhibition of nine immersive works in a multi-decade retrospective devoted to terrell at the museum titled into the light which is going to remain on view until at least 2025 which is so exciting and it means the works will definitely be there together for a few years yes the work is due to be unveiled on may 29th and will be 40 feet tall and 40 feet in diameter making it one of the largest sky space works to be shown in the u.s it will also contain a mobile ceiling and will debut with a collection of sketches of the artist's process i always love when exhibitions have sketches me too we saw them even at Pace recently mm-hmm. for the Irving Penn show. Yeah, they talked about them. It's so interesting to see the artist process. Yeah. 
Although the work will be following COVID capacity protocol, so probably around 25%, around 50 viewers will be able to be in the immersive space at once, which really speaks to the size yeah, of it. Yeah, it's going to be massive. And another exciting facet of this story is that the museum will hold the coinciding show titled Labs Quakerware, which will be on view until October 30th. This show will explore this lesser-known series of the same title, which Terrell made in collaboration with artists Nicholas Moss and Bill Burke in 1998. The rarely exhibited works comprise porcelain tableware and cupboards and reflect on Terrell's and Moss's shared upbringing in the Quaker religion. Yeah. I had no idea that he was a Quaker. Yeah. It really blew my mind. I know. I only recently found out because of that exhibition I saw in Mexico City, but otherwise I don't think I would have... I don't think it's announced enough. <laughs> I really don't think... Think. And James Terrell, his works, because he deals so much with light, they yeah. have like this technology feel mm-hmm. and they're very like futuristic in yes. a way that it doesn't really coincide with, with like his... religion. Exactly. Yeah, so I that agree. was so unexpected. Very. But I think we're ready to move on. Headline number three comes to us from Art News, where it was reported that, quote, our third headline today comes to us from Art News, where it was reported that, quote, Man Ray Trust claims Christie's auction contains work stolen from artist's estate. So the Man Ray Trust, which is the organization overseeing the artist's estate, has claimed that a Christie sale of surrealist art from the collection of the artist's former assistant contains stolen work. I think this is a common occurrence in the art world. I have heard of things like this happening um, before where assistants or other people that have like easy access to artist studios just like borrow works and then they try to sell them. But this is definitely one of like the most interesting ones. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a common issue, unfortunately. Yeah. But the sale took place in Paris this past Tuesday, March 2nd, and it had very cool unseen works such as portraits of Marcel Duchamp and other socialites. Yeah, it actually had 188 works that once belonged to Lucien Treillard, Man Ray's former assistant who died in 2003, and his widow was the one who consigned the works. And the Man Ray Trust believes that out of the 188 works, 148 were actually stolen, which is so crazy because that's the majority. Yeah, it's crazy. In a statement they put out, they said, quote, contemporaries of Man Ray and Juliet Man Ray advise the Man Ray Trust that there is significant reason to believe Lucien Trillard stole a substantial number of Man Ray's works and possessions immediately following his death. Yeah, and art historian Stephen Manford went so far as to say that Christie's cataloging and essays done as research for the sale for short of, for Christie's standards. So it's just like very controversial. And although the trust requested that the sale be postponed and attempted to reach a settlement with the auction house in the weeks leading up to the sale, Christie's moved forward with the auction. Um, This story is super interesting because Treillard has been very controversial when it comes to Ray's state because after Ray's death, he went on to produce unauthorized replicas of his work, which should be considered fakes, um, as the demand for the artist's work increased. So he just wanted to like make money. I think this is just like such an unfortunate story and the trust has long been aware of this issue and that these works are continuing to be reproduced. He acquired from Man Ray's studio under unclear circumstances, so it's never been pursued legally against the former assistant, claiming that it they lack the legal resources to do so. Yeah, and to add to the drama, the state of Treillard was actually speculated to be gifted to the Pompidou in Paris for a really long time. So the fact that it's now selling at auction um, came as a shock to a lot of people. So there's just a lot of drama involved. <laughs> yes. 
I just can't believe get over that it was 148 of the 188. Yeah, he like literally stole them after Man Ray died, which is so unethical. I mean, it's basically the whole auction. Yes. And the fact that Christie's went on to just do it after so many people like called them out on how it was bad is just like really I think it's really disappointing because people look at auction houses as setting like this standard. And when you buy a work from an auction house, you're assuming that it's provenance and everything is perfect. So it's concerning. But the next story we have coming up is also a little dramatic. Yes. The fourth headline of the day comes to us from the art newspaper where it was reported that, quote, Mexico City's planned cultural complex in Chapultepec Park loses architect. So the future of a $440 million plan to build a vast cultural complex in the capital's Chapultepec Park, funded by the Mexican government and led by the artist Gabriel Orozco, is in doubt. Benjamin Romano, one of the main architects, recently withdrew his design for the project, saying it, quote, did not meet technical criteria. Yeah, Romano had been chosen to create the Calzada Flotante, which translate to, translates to floating causeway, a pair of pedestrian bridges that would link to sections of the huge park where ambitious construction plans include a new pavilion for contemporary art designed by Renzo Piano. Um, and work on the bridges was meant to start last summer and be completed within a year, but clearly that hasn't happened. The project has sparked fierce resistance from campaigners who claim it has been given the green light by the Mexican president, even though hard Hardly any of the required environmental impact studies have been carried out and local authorities had not issued all the required permits. The story is really, really messy and it doesn't shock me. I personally think that the current government does not care at all about the environment and this project just further proves that point. It is also so sad to see that um, so much money is being spent on a new cultural hub when the museums that already exist in the city are struggling so much and absolutely need the funding and no one is providing that I, money for them. I think that's such a good point because even when you think about how much the museums are struggling here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and as new museums are trying to open, it's yeah. just the resources are spread too thin. Yeah, they're like limited right now. So like, why would you put 440 billion or million, not billion dollars <laughs> <laughs> into a project that's like new and like does not benefit anyone? Exactly. But we'll see what happens with that. And continuing on with this environmental theme, our fifth and final headline of the week comes to us from Artnet, where it was revealed that, quote, a wildlife habitat has canceled Judy Chicago's smoke sculpture for Desert X after environmental activists raised alarms. Desert X, which is an open-air biennial staged in California's Coachella Valley, but not the music festival, (laughs) has run into some roadblocks in its most recent endeavor. A site-specific smoke sculpture by artist Judy Chicago at the Living Desert Zoo and Gardens has been canceled due to environmental concerns. On April 9th, Chicago planned to release plumes of colored smoke at the foothills of Mount Eisenhower, but after local scientists and a preservation advocate voiced concerns over possible risk to wildlife posed by the work, the living zoo decided to withdraw. Although Chicago claims that she worked for months to address any potential safety issues posed by the work, advocates argue that huge volumes of colored smoke would have a frightening and unpredictable effect on wild and captive creatures. Chicago said that ecological concerns are at the forefront of her smoke sculptures, which are rooted in her desire to create an alternative type of land art that does not uproot or bulldoze the environment, but instead merges with the landscape. And adjustments were planned to best support the site, as Chicago would 
as always, use non-toxic smoke, but she also planned to use an electronic trigger this time, which would eliminate the loud ignition noise that it's caused by the smoke going off and could have startled the animals. Yeah, that makes sense. But this is not the first time Desert X has faced some controversy, as in the 2018 edition of Jenny Holzer's light projection piece had to be canceled as a result of an epidemic that the local bighorn sheep population was suffering. And Desert X claims that they are searching for an alternative for Chicago's work, but the artist released a statement saying that due to decades-long commitment to environmental justice and animal rights, she's the wrong target. So I think it is fair. And it did seem to me like she was making every effort and they had been in conversation for months. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as if like the project in Mexico that seemed to have just been spurred onto the public. Like this was really well thought out and she was willing to work with them to make it as safe as possible. They just couldn't reach an agreement that like benefited both of the parties involved and the animals. But it will be an interesting story to follow. So hopefully we'll have an update because it might happen in a different location. In the coming months, yeah. It would be exciting to see. But before we go, we have to share an emerging story. This week, we're so excited to learn that according to Artnet, quote, the director of Crazy Rich Asians will explore a string of high-profile Chinese art heists in his next film. Crazy Rich Asians director John M. Chu is adapting the story of a mysterious rash of Chinese art and antiquity heists for his next film. Warner Brothers will release, which and it's titled The Great Chinese Art Heist, based on Alex W. Palmer's 2018 GQ story by the same name. The full scale of the criminality is impossible to pinpoint because many heists never make the headlines, but the heists all appear to be professional jobs. And primarily targeted were art and artifacts looted by foreign armies with a special interest in objects that the British and French took from the Old Summer Palace in Beijing in 1860. And I think because it is so pinpointed, yeah, that's why people think the context is a little mysterious. Yeah. Um, The movie will explore the intriguing possibility that the thefts are actually the work of the Chinese government, bent on taking matters of restitution into its own hands rather than exhausting complicated legal channels. Crazy Rich Asians was one of my favorite books, and I loved the movie. I've seen it multiple times. (laughs) Yeah. And visually, I think it's a really stunning film. Yeah. So hopefully that same effect will be brought to this film. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to watch it. Hopefully soon. (laughs) Hopefully soon. But I think that's it for today. Stay tuned for our next Monday chatter check-in where we will be discussing some Colorado art, perhaps. Something a little bit different. For sure. Thank you. Bye. Bye.